0: Good morning. My name is Alex DeRosa. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at New Life, and I'm just really excited to be able to share with you what God has been doing in my heart for us specifically today. But before I get into that, I just wanted to mention that video. So our very own Greg Miller, he's one of our small group leaders at New Life Students. He made that video just to give us a glimpse behind the scenes about what youth group looks like because many people who are here on a weekend aren't there on Tuesday night. So every Tuesday night, we meet with about 100 students students, and we have about 40 leaders as well that are there. And our senior hires come in here and they worship God, or our junior hires rather worship God in here with a band on stage and a speaker. And our senior hires go to the Galaxy Worship Center, and they have a band and a speaker as well. And then we play some games. And at the end of each night, we go into small groups, which everyone is in a small group. So And they're all split up grade and gender specific. So all of our sixth grade boys are together, all of our 10th grade girls are together, and they all have their own volunteer leaders there as well. And it's just amazing to see what God has been doing as he's been working and moving and he's alive. And we're just proud of what God has been doing. So we just wanted to show you a little bit about that. But today... Pastor Barry already did a great job of welcoming everyone, and, but I just wanted to say that if you're a first-time guest, thank you so much for coming. And if you are New Life kids, thank you so much for being here. We love that you are spending your time with us today. At New Life Students, what we do is we welcome everyone with a round of applause, our first-time guests, and can we do that with, for our first-time guests and our New Life kids today? Thank you for being here. If you don't know, we're in a year-long series called Experiencing God Unreserved. We started it in August, and we're going to continue it all year. And during this long series, we've been breaking it off into little mini-series as we go. The first one was called Experiencing Growth. The second one, Experiencing God. And then we finished our most recent one on Christmas called Experiencing Christmas. And today, we are starting a new mini-series, but we're also ending it because it's just a one-message series, and it's called Experiencing Worship. And I'm really excited to talk about it because I love worship. I've been blessed to be a part of different worship bands over the last 16 years. I started playing bass guitar. And then in college, I learned drums for a band. I wasn't very good though. I bought a drum set and I, I played it. And then when I came here to New Life, I sold it immediately uh, because I didn't want Pastor Brad to know that I played drums to get me on that stage because I just was not very good or comfortable with playing it. And eventually I bought a guitar and then I learned how to sing. And as much as I haven't, not been the most musically gifted person in my in my life or on any of these bands I just enjoy worshiping God but it hasn't always been the case when I first showed up at youth group and I experienced someone on stage playing guitar, people singing, I had no idea why we were doing it. I didn't get the purpose behind it. I was looking around and wondering why we would gather to sing. Maybe you're like me, and this is that your experience right now. You're walking in and you don't understand it. But unfortunately for me, I didn't ask any questions. I didn't say, excuse me, what are we doing? I just kind of went along with it and pretended I understood, which is how I kind of operate in life. If I'm ever in a conversation and someone uses a word that I don't understand, which does happen occasionally, I just kind of try to pretend I know and then put context clues together. The other day, my friend Hunter was talking to me and he said, oh yeah, there's this guy and he was gaslighting. And I had no idea what that word meant. Maybe you do. You're probably much smarter than I do, am, but I had no idea. I thought, okay, gaslighting, what does that mean? Uh, maybe uh, you're driving a car and the light comes on and you need to fill up on gas. That's negative. Okay, maybe it's about a grill. I have a grill at home, but it doesn't have a button. I, I turn the gas on and then I go in light with the, the, the lighter. Maybe that's what he's talking about. So I just took a guess and I said, that stinks. And he was like... Yeah, it does. And I was like, okay, good. I got, I got it right. I guessed it correctly. And then he continued talking, and I still had no idea what he was saying until so I went home and I Googled it, as you do, and I found out that he was in a discussion with someone who ended up arguing with him just to make him mad. That's what gaslighting is. Who knew? But I don't just do it with words. I do it with information as well. Mark Lutz, our discipleship pastor, is one of my best friends. We've known each other for a very long time. And when his wife, Jen, was pregnant with their first child, Brooklyn, I found out about it in a casual conversation with Pastor Brad, our worship pastor. We were just talking back at that sound booth, and he just said, oh yeah, because Mark and Jen are going to have a baby, Mark won't be able to do that coming up and whatever it was. And, and then the next day I was talking to Pastor Chris on the phone and he was like, oh yeah, Mark won't be able to go to Cuba because of course Jen will be pregnant with a baby. And both times, instead of being like, wait, 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 what? That's exciting. Or tell me more. Or I didn't know they were pregnant. I just went, yeah, that makes sense. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I would make that same decision too if, if I was in his shoes. Absolutely. And then I went and found it out. It's not the best way to learn. The best way to learn is to ask, questions and to try to figure it out. But I haven't historically done that. So I'd show up at youth group when I was worshiping, and I'd see people raising hands. Instead of being like, what are you doing? I'd just be like, okay, I can raise my hand too. Sweet. I do this in school all the time. I can raise two hands. I got two of them. Nice. Awesome. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And then people would be singing, and I would sing as well, because I sang to the radio, so I sang there. But it didn't click. It didn't click till much later In a high school. And then even then, it took a long time for God to really teach my heart about what it means to worship. And so today, maybe you're new and you maybe like the music, but you don't understand why we did it. This message is for you. Or maybe you've been here a ton of times and you like the music or you don't like it, whatever your preference, but you don't get why we do it. This message is for you. Or maybe you love worship, you've done it all your life and you're really into it, this message is also for you as we dig deeper, we dive deeper into what it means to sing to God. But before we get into that explanation, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for who you are. I pray that right now that you remove any obstacle out of the way in this message. I pray that you would just speak to our hearts, that you won't let anything get in the way of the message that you have for us. Help us to leave here transformed people. Help us to to leave here more willing to worship you. We love you and pray this in your son's name, amen. So in high school, one of the things I did was I went to two youth groups. I started going to one near my house at Oak Hill Alliance Church, and nearby, my, my friend Mark, again, went to New Swickley Presbyterian Church that was closer to his house. But we wanted to go to the same youth group, but we didn't want to quit either youth group, so we just went to both. So on Tuesday nights, I went to New Swickley Presbyterian. Also, Jesse Scheller, who was on drums, was also going to New Swickley, which is just a fun fact. And on Tuesdays, we would go there. And on Wednesdays, I'd go to Oak Hill. And I loved Tuesday nights. Because at Tuesday, we had about 100 leaders and students. And they had this amazing worship band. Now, not amazing in the way that they were going to get signed someday or make it big. But amazing in the way that everyone who showed up sang. This was new to me. I had never experienced this before. When I was at Oak Hill Alliance Church where I went, there was a couple people singing sometimes, most people hands in their pockets, nodding a little bit, but it wasn't like it was at Newsweekly on Tuesdays. When I would show up, everyone was just into the worship. And I remember specifically one day, I was standing in between my two friends. One was Hunter on my left. The other was Mark on my right and Hunter is just belting this song, and he has this beautiful voice. Like if you were starting a choir today, he would be the one that you would pick as a choir, like soloist. And on my right was Mark, and he was singing, and he was belting too, but his voice, how do I say this nicely? His voice sounded much more like if you Took some stray cats and then put them in a washing machine and then put it on spin cycle. That's what Mark's voice sounded like. And before you say, wow, that's really mean, Alex. Two things. I can say that because one, I'm best friends with him and I love him. And two, he's aware of it. And I'll give you a third one also because, well, why not? And three, because Mark was, Mark told me at least as the third pastor about his first child being born. So he kind of has this coming to him. And, but I also just, I love worshiping next to Mark. I still to this day, he's one of my favorite people to stand next to as we worship together, because I could just feel his heart as he sings. And as I was worshiping that day, oh man, I felt his heart. I felt Hunter's heart. I started to look around. And I saw people kneeling and praising God. I saw people laying their hands on each other, praying God. Oh, Brenda Lutz. Brenda's in here too. Brenda was at Newsweekly Presbyterian as well. So Jen was there too hi guys hey just sorry just shouting out because that's cool so they they know a little bit about this experience so anyway so we were there and and worshiping God and I start realizing and I knew a hundred percent that God was in that place no shadow, shadow, shadow of doubt on my mind that God was real and he was moving it was probably the first time I experienced that and not only did I know that he was alive but I also could tell that in that moment, I wasn't perfect, I knew that. I was a dumb 16-year-old kid, now more of a dumb 32-year-old, but at this time I was a sinful, broken high school kid and I was allowed to walk into the presence of God. And over these last 15 or 16 years, God has been just refining this thought and it's turned into our take home point today, the one point that I'm trying to make through this whole message and simply this, that God invites us to enter into his throne room just as we are. It's a beautiful sentiment that we can walk in the presence of God as we are today. Last year, I read a book called The Glory of God. It was written by a man named Guillermo Maldonado, and in it, he defines the purpose of worship. He he would say in this book, I firmly believe that our purpose in worship is to invite his, meaning God's presence, to descend. Only in his presence will we be transformed so that we can take the same power of transformation to others. So in worship, all we're doing is we're asking God's presence to be there with us. And as it's with us, we start to transform into being more like his son. The more time we spend with God, we can't help but be transformed. And not only are we transformed, we're transforming those around us. And that's what was happening when I was worshiping those, uh, all those years ago. Mark was worshiping. He was being transformed. I was next to him being transformed as well. God says this in his word, and I love the language that it uses. It says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I love that term, the throne room. It, has, it paints this great picture of us walking into God's presence. That verse starts with, so let us come, meaning that the verses prior to that are really crucial for understanding what it's trying to say now. And beforehand, it was talking about how Jesus came and died on the cross for us. Because you see, before Jesus came, we had this barrier between us and God. It was sin. God is perfect. He is holy. And we cannot fully enter into his presence until that sin is removed. So when Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins, if we give our lives to him as Lord, meaning owner, and savior, meaning rescuer from sin and death, that barrier is removed and we can walk boldly into his presence. We can show up and be with God. We can commune with him. And that's so important to think. It's so amazing to think that we can approach the throne room of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the God who created the universe, who created planets, who created you and me, allows us to walk in and just be with him. It's even more impressive when we start thinking about history, about kings in their throne rooms, earthly kings. Because do you know who was allowed to walk into the presence boldly of an earthly king's throne room? No one. No one at all. We learned that in God's book, Esther, because there's this king. His name is King Xerxes. And he married Queen Esther, and he loved Queen Esther, so much so that he was willing to give her up to half of everything he had. However, one day he made a mistake made a pretty dumb mistake. He was convinced to make a law that at a certain day, all the Jewish people would be killed. Now, he didn't know this at the time, but his queen, Queen Esther, was Jewish. And so at this certain day, his wife would have been able to be killed. Now, Queen Esther's uncle Mordecai finds out about this and goes to his niece and says, you gotta do something about this, Esther. God has put you in this position for just this moment. He's put you in this position so you might save the people. But their discussion goes a little like this in Esther chapter 4. Then Esther told Hathach to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king and in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. He's, she's literally saying that she's scared to come into the presence of her husband because she might be doomed to die, that she was not willing to walk into his presence freely. But they continue to talk, and eventually Esther says, okay, well, I'll go, and if I die, I die. And so she goes, and she convinces the king to make a new law, and they save the Jewish people. But her story puts into perspective how unreal, how, um, how amazing it is that we can walk into God's throne room. And not only does God invite us into his throne room, he invites us as we currently are. When Jesus was on this earth, he would say it this way in the book of Matthew, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is amazing. Not only does he say, bring your problems to me, bring your worries, bring everything that you're struggling with, but he also promises that he'll give us rest during that time. And this is cool because most times in life, people aren't saying the same things. The world isn't saying, oh yeah, come as you are, you're perfectly fine. The world's most of the time saying you're not good enough. That's how we treat ourselves too. We think in our minds, we're not good enough yet. We have this pressure, these standards to meet And until we feel like we can accomplish them, we don't feel comfortable coming into other people's presence, let alone God's presence. As adults, we feel that until we have enough money or the nicest house or the best car or the best job, until we get that promotion, until we get married and have kids, we're not successful yet. We haven't made it until we're thin enough or we look the best, we just aren't good enough. In junior high, in high school, we feel the same kind of pressure. It's just a little varied until you have good enough grades, until you know what you're gonna do after high school, until you have a plan for college, until you're dating someone, are you popular? How popular are you? Until we have that stuff figured out, we're not good enough. And children, the New Life kids that are in here, you know that this is the same with you as well. There's similar pressure. Recently, me and my wife went and saw the new Mr. Rogers movie. Anyone see that? Won't you be my neighbor? Anyone say? Okay, a couple people. That was great. It was really, really good. Did anyone grow up watching Mr. Rogers or even Daniel Tiger, uh, the, the new show right now? Okay, cool. So I didn't grow up watching Mr. Rogers. So if... If you don't know who he is, his name is Fred Rogers. He's a great Christian man. He's from Pittsburgh, and he had a TV show he produced and starred in that was specifically for children and lasted a very long time and did a lot of good. And so a movie recently came out that was about his life. And in this movie, Mr. Rogers made sure to say that he wants every child to know that they are good just the way that they are. He says, in life, kids are told you'll be good when you grow up when you learn, when you get to school, when you graduate school, when you have a plan or a job, but he wanted to make sure that everyone knew that you're good the way you are. He even sang a song about it, it's called It's You I Like. He would say, it's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, and not your toys, they're just beside you. But it's you I like. It's you, yourself. It's you I like. Now, I, oh, wow. <laughs> Unnecessary. I did have to Google it to find out how he sang it, and he did a much better job than I did. But the sentiment is so good. As an adult, it's so good. When he says, it's not the things that hide you, that connects with me. Because I hide. Whenever I'm having a bad day, I don't want people to see it. I don't want people at home to see it. I don't want people at work to see it. I don't want the New Life students, kids to see it. I want to to hide those bad days. I wanna make people think that I have it all together. It's why I pretend to know words. It's pretend to know information because I don't want people to think less of me. It's probably even happened here where someone said, hey, how are you doing? And someone else responded, good, thanks. And the real response should have been terrible. Life has been hard. The holidays were difficult. We had a fight on the way to church today. But instead, what we do is we say, good, thanks. And we smile because we don't want people to think less of us. We want people to think highly of us. But God is saying something very similar to Mr. Rogers. He's saying, you can come into my presence just as you are. And I love you completely, I know the thoughts in your head. I know the feelings in your heart. I know what you've done and what you will do, and I still love you. You don't need to hide. In fact, he says hiding doesn't even make sense because in 1 Samuel, it says this, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them, the way that we see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart God doesn't notice the outside. Well, he sees it, but he doesn't pay attention to it. He cares what's in our hearts. So when we're pretending, he just walks right through that and sees our real emotions. And again, he says, I love you. I know that you might not love yourself as much as I do, but I love you enough to die for you. I love you enough to send my son for you specifically that he thought of you. I came to redeem you. You can't outsin my grace. I want you to know that I love you. A lot of times we think that we need to get right before we come to God. We gotta fix ourselves before we come to church. But it's important to remember that God doesn't need us to fix ourselves before we can approach his throne. Because he does the fixing once we approach his throne. He does the transforming once we're in his presence. He doesn't need us to do that beforehand. Sometimes we feel like we're letting him down. We're letting God down by what we're doing, but that's not the right way to think of it because we can't let him down if he's holding us up. And he's holding us up with his victorious right hand because that's how good he is. So instead of thinking that I gotta fix myself before coming to him, we just gotta come to him with all of our brokenness and then he'll do the fixing. He won't leave us the same way. He'll transform us into more like his son. And in that time, in that space, where we show up in his throne room just as we are, we can truly worship God. Because at the heart of worship, it's not about music. Worship is just the feeling or expression of love to God. That's all it is. It's our feeling and expression of love to God. And we can do that wherever we are, with music or without. So when I was in high school, my youth pastor gave me this book. It was called The Practice of the Presence of God, and it was written by a dude named Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence was this monk, and he talked about his everyday actions, and he would say that he would worship God, whether doing chores or washing dishes or whatever. And for a long time, I was confused about what that meant. Like, why was he singing while washing dishes? That doesn't make much sense. But the more I think about it, the more I read, the more I take time with God, what he was just saying was that he was just walking into the presence of God as he was doing everything, whether it was washing dishes or walking around, that we can worship God every time in our lives, always in our lives, with music or without. is so important because sometimes we get trapped in the thinking that it's just Sunday mornings, but it's not, we can do it all the time. But it is also important to know that God does want us to worship him with music. He wants us to use our voices to sing to him. He talks about it all the time in the scriptures. In Psalm 105, it says this, "'Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. "'Let the whole world know what he has done. "'Sing to him, yes, sing his praises. "'Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. And then in the book of Hebrews, it would say, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. I think that's a cool way to say it, that we're bringing a sacrifice to God. For a long time, people would come to worship services and they'd have to bring their animals to slaughter them as a sacrifice for God. Now, God's saying that because of his son, who has, was perfect and because of his blood, we no longer need to do that that instead he's asked us to bring a sacrifice of our mouths. The New International Version translates that last line to just say that we need to bring a sacrifice of our lips, the fruit of lips that profess his name. That's all it's saying, that our lips should produce the fruit of praise, that we should worship him out of our love for God. Now, it doesn't need to be perfect in order to do that. It just needs to be an expression of love because it's one of the ways that God feels love. When I was in college, I was really seeking this this information of how to show love to people. Now, it wasn't showing love to. God. It was showing love to girls because I was really struggling dating. I didn't have a serious dating relationship until I got to college. I had one girlfriend. We watched basketball a couple times and then she left me for uh, one of my cuter friends. And then we got, I got to college and I was just really wanting a girlfriend. So I went where you normally do whenever you don't have a girlfriend. I went to the library and I found a book about dating, which is, probably shows how much I knew about dating, and I read it, and it was called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And in this book, Gary would say that there's five ways that people need to feel love, physical touch, words of affirmation or encouragement, acts of service, gifts, and quality time. He would also say that most people need one or two of those more than the rest. That's just how we are wired. So, for instance, for me, I love words of encouragement. I love words of affirmation. It's one of the things that I thrive off of. You could literally go from someone that I dislike to one of my best friends with just like an honest encouragement. There was this one time where there was someone that I had a little bit of friction with, and it sounds kind of sad saying it that way, but we had a little friction, but they came up to me one day and they were like, Alex, oh, you really nice today. And I remember going home to Rachel and be like, man, that person's awesome. Like, they're just great. And she's like, really? I didn't think you thought that yesterday. I'm like, I think that now. I love them. Put them on the Christmas card list. Like, they're just so cool. And as sad as that is, I mean, I just really, I feel love that strongly in that way. And what God is saying is that one of His love languages or the way that He feels love is when we sing to Him. When we lift our voices to Him, He feels that love. Now, I know, I know what some people are thinking here, that, Alex, you don't understand. You haven't heard my voice. It doesn't sound very pretty. You wouldn't be saying that if you sat next to me during worship. But let me tell you something. It comes right from God's word, and it'll give us a little, maybe an exhale, and give us a little pressure off our shoulders. Psalm 95 says this, oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make, this is the key, a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, come let the best singers sing to the Lord. It says, come sing to him and just make a joyful noise, which we can all make a joyful noise. No matter what sounds like, we can all bring our voices to God to show him love, no matter if it's a little sloppy or messy or out of tune. It reminds me of one day I was at home and my son, who's 19 months old now, was about a year old at this point and I was, on the floor in our living room leaning against the couch and we were watching cartoons like good dads do and he was waddling around. He can walk pretty good now, like he like stomps around like he owns the place grabbing stuff. The other day, yesterday when I showed up here, I was like walking and I felt like I had almost like a heel in my shoe and I like took my my foot out and I saw that there's magnets in there um, that Ezra had just taken off and put him in my shoe because that's the kind of guy he is right now. And at this point though, he was just learning to walk so he was just kind of waddling, like trying to find where his weight is. And I'm sitting there on the ground and he waddles right over to me and he gave me the grossest open mouth kiss that I've ever had. Like it was slobber, it was snot, it was everything. And I, I mean, at that moment, as he walked away, just smiling, like waddling away, I will tell you this, it was gross. And I did have to clean some snot out of my beard. But at that time, I didn't care. It was just so wonderful to experience that love from my son. It was the first time that he had kissed me and not the other way around. And so I didn't care that I had to take some snot out of my mouth. I didn't care that I had to wipe that off. I just cared that my son in that moment showed me love. And God's saying the very same thing. That doesn't need to be perfect. He just wants to feel that love from us. He's asked us to sing to him over and over. And he's saying, no matter what it sounds like, bring your voices up to me. Henry Blackaby, the writer of Experiencing God, would put it this way. A faithful servant is one who does what the master says no matter what the outcome. A faithful servant is obedient to to their master when they just listen, no matter the result. That's it, that's what we want. But instead, it's what God wants, but instead what we do is we make excuses. Well, can't be what he wants if it sounds like I do, or it just doesn't feel comfortable for me, or it's not manly, or it's not cool, or Whatever. But it's important to remember that worship is not about us. It's not for us. It's for God ultimately. So when we're singing, it doesn't matter. We can have all the excuses we want, but he's still asking us to raise our voices, a joyful noise to him. All those years ago when Mark was standing next to me, the result of his singing was not the right notes and that's okay because the result was God being pleased by it and it was my heart being transformed. For years, I sang the same way, just shouted, just screamed out praises to God and was not worrying about what I sounded like. I just worshiped God until one day that I met my wife or we had met before this, but I was going on a date with her. I brought my guitar because she's a fantastic singer. She was standing right up here with me. And and so I went over and I brought my guitar to try to impress her, so we're singing a song together. And afterwards, I gave her a compliment. Your voice sounded great, because it did, and then I fished for a compliment, because that's what you do. And I said, well, how was was my voice? How did it sound? And she looked at me, and she's so kind, and she was like, well, that was fun. Uh, Can you hear the right notes? And I was devastated, I was like, oh, no. Maybe And so what she did, she did this test. She was like, sing this note, Uh And I was like, ah. Uh, and I looked at her like, good. Like, that was pretty good, right? She's like, no. And so we worked together. And from then on, we had some dates where it was just music training. And she was giving me voice lessons, which is hard because that's being told constantly in my mind that I'm not doing good enough is constantly saying, nope, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, which is good for dating because it's practice for marriage because you'll hear that even more then. And so I can sing now because of her training and some help from God. But let me tell you this, that God does not care that I can sing better. He's not more happy that I sing the right notes. He just wants to hear me sing. Now, he does care in the way that he has asked me to lead worship now because I can sing. That's the only difference. He's asked me to help and lead other people into worship. And on stage, when we are playing music, we love when people come up and say that they enjoy the music, but our heart is really for people to get into that presence of God, to walk into the throne room of God. We're just creating a pathway for people to walk and to be with God just as we are. It's like a light switch. When you flip a a light switch, you're not creating electricity. You're just allowing it to flow. And when we're doing worship, that's the same thing. We're just allowing the Holy Spirit to come into the place. We're just making a pathway for the throne room. God's here anyway. We just want to make it as comfortable as possible. That's the goal because it's so important to God. It's so important that there's this book in the Bible called Psalms. And Psalms translates just to mean the twanging of a harp. And it's so important to God that it is the longest book in the Bible at 150 chapters. It's 150 chapters full of songs. And the writers of those songs taught us how to sing. Some of them are really happy things. Like in Psalm 116, it says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. In Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations, praise him, all the people of the earth, for he loves us with unfailing love. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. But there's some real emotions in it too, in the Psalms. Because again, God's asked us to approach him with everything that we are. Psalm 23 says, even when I walk through the darkest valley. Psalm 39, hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cries for help. Don't ignore my tears. And Psalm 22 is really open and honest. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan? help. In this time next, we're going to be worshiping still. We're going to worship two songs to end our service. And I encourage you just to approach God as you are, with all the pain, all the hurt, all the struggles, all the fears, all the doubts. Bring them to God. He knows about them. He wants you just to lift them to him so that he can give you rest, so that he can transform us today whatever you've brought in to to this service today, all the outside noise, just give it to God during this time so he can help, he can give you that rest. And then we can become more like his son. And then this week, let's not stop with just worshiping God today. Let's continue to worship him. No matter what we're doing, whether we're driving the car or in the shower or doing the dishes, let's go into his presence as we are showing him love. And we can do that by doing today's next step together, which says, I will worship God each day this week. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for being a good God and for loving us, for the fact that we can out sin your grace, the fact that you created us, you designed us to be your children. And I pray that during this time that as we lift up songs to you, as we lift up praise, you allow us to feel comfortable in your presence. Remind us that you love us, that it's us that you like. We pray this all in your son's holy name. Amen.